And now, friends, we pay tribute to Noah Syndergaard's tenure in Cleveland. Goodbye, my lover. Goodbye, my friend. You have been the one. You have been the one for me. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two. Get the Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. What a, what a weird trade deadline slash week or so after the trade deadline that became for Cleveland. You had the move for Noah Syndergaard, which... People still, Zach, find a way to misread what that was all about. You're shipping off Rosario. You're trading away to, I guess you could term them, important pieces of your offense. And yet you get back somehow a Cole Calhoun, who was better than the guy you traded away when he was here in Josh Bell. And you picked up Ramon Laureano. And I laugh because this season, we, we talk about all the time how funny this has been. Welcome to the Selbius Godcast, by the way. That's Zach. I'm TJ. Not funny to experience, but funny in that you have to laugh to keep your, from, from crying, from losing your brains. A lot of teams would be so thrilled if they made two pickups for the month of August and into September that were providing the amount of value that the Guardians have gotten from Cole Calhoun and now Ramon Laureano. What Twilight Zone have we stumbled into where they accidentally ended up getting something that a lot of teams would love to have post-trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, I think hundreds of years from now when we are specks of dust, we're certainly not going to remember the 2023 Guardians season. But you know how you try to piece things together? Like, you remember the 95 season, you remember the, the 99 season with the juggernaut offense and... You try to piece together how it went in your head, and you know years down the line, you really only remember the highlights, maybe some key points, some key games. Certainly, if there's playoffs involved, but you you can look back at a roster on Baseball Reference and say, "What? Explain to me how Alexia Gondo was part of the, the bullpen <laughs> in 2018 for a minute." Or maybe I mean, what don't. are we going to say about 2023? Ten years from now, when you look back and you see. Wait, Noah Syndergaard made six starts? What? What did someone explain this trade to me? I, what were the 2023 Guardians doing back then? <laughs> what is this? Very confused. Yeah. I, I mean, we obviously make light of it. I don't want to do that too much because you've been in some of these press conferences with Syndergaard. He clearly is is fighting it mentally because this is someone that was once on top of the world when it came to pitching. Nowhere close now. It's been all these organizations nobody wanted him at this deadline the guardian said we'll take him because could use the innings through the month of august until at least one of our pitches returns and we can talk about why they they did what they did dfa-ing him after the game it still in a weird way provided what they needed and i had seen when the dodgers were in town a lot of well this trade hasn't worked out for either side because rosario he had a great stretch the first week or week and a half with the Dodgers, but hasn't been great. And Syndergaard's got the same six ERA. And I mean, yeah, if you're evaluating at that on the surface like that, 
Sure, it doesn't look like it worked out for anybody. But am I crazy here? Didn't the Guardians get exactly what they wanted out of this? They needed a pitcher who had a pulse. Syndergaard, I mean, he, he averaged five and a half innings to start, pitched for them for a month. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's... They lost Bieber. They lost McKenzie. They lost Quantrill. They had three and then four rookies in the rotation. And at the time, you know, keep in mind the the order of operations here, that the Rosario trade was first, right? So they got Syndergaard, joined the team the next day, already sounded like a lost soul, day one, minute one. Um, which I think is more just jarring because you usually don't hear pitchers talk like that, especially in Cleveland. I feel like you either get like the Kluber Savali type who's just really quiet and doesn't get too high or low about anything, or you have, I mean, we've heard a share of like a, of excuse makers too. Like when they're struggling, it's well, all 13 hits I gave up were softly hit or they found a hole. Um, rarely do you hear someone struggling who's like, yeah, I just, I'm not enjoying anything in life right now. Like that was, that was absolutely, I was like gobsmacked to hear that. And the reporters there in Cincinnati, we all looked at each other like, did like we all heard that properly, right? Like that, that was stunning to hear. But yeah, I mean, he, he was serviceable. I mean, he wasn't like the ERA is not good, but if you look at the numbers, like he wasn't horrendous. And the other options were like Peyton Battenfield, who hadn't pitched well after finishing his rehab, Hunter Gaddis. I mean, it's what were you going to do? I think what it proves is that Ahmed Rosario just has not had a trade value. And that dates back to last summer, even. So they figured, well, the benefit here is letting Gabriel Arias play every day. And if we can get something useful, just in terms of an actual body, then we'll take it. And Noah Syndergaard is the body you got. <laughs> he, he was that, yes. Still gave you the innings that you needed. Most importantly, yeah, you cleared the spot at shortstop to, be in, to begin to go through this experiment and give Gabriel Arias some run and Tyler Freeman, Rocchio, all that. The other neglected part of this that I think is a key part of it, the Guardians had to feel comfortable trading away another starter. Not like we need to feel comfortable, we need someone to pitch as well as Savali does. We need someone that can occupy as many innings, whether they're good or bad, as Savali does. And we don't know that Syndergaard's going to be any good, but we, I, we feel good that he can at least provide us the innings to get us to September when... Cal Quantrill's ready to return, or you know, one of these other pitchers are ready to return. And so to me, yes, it opened up shortstop, but also it allowed them the confidence to make that trade with Savali and not feel like they didn't have the innings to get to September. And maybe without making that deal and feeling at least comfortable enough with Syndergaard, you might not have Manzardo today. So hey. There's something. Remember, if you don't remember Noah Syndergaard for anything positive, remember he played a role in getting you Manzardo. You know, there's there's a weird symmetry, I guess. Um, in Cleveland's clubhouse a couple weeks ago, up until about 10 days ago, in one corner of the room, you had Syndergaard and Daniel Norris. Norris occupying that 
famed double locker that has had players come and go this year like never before. Those two in one corner. Those two both came up with the Blue Jays. They were top prospects. Can't miss guys. And both, you know, Norris had a little bit of early success. Syndergaard certainly did. Syndergaard ending up with the Mets and Norris ending up with the Tigers and both in big trades. And it's an interesting story to tell of just two guys who, I mean, Syndergaard lived up to the hype for like a year. Norris never really quite reached that peak. And on the other corner, in the other corner of the room, then their lockers aren't next to each other, but Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams. And I was talking to Norris and he was even like, he had noticed it. Like, you know, we, we are here to help if they need help, help these young pitchers learn how to fail. We can't teach you how to thrive and have a 15 year career full of Cy Young awards and ERA titles, but we can teach you how to go from, not that you want to follow this, but we we went from top prospects to, I don't want to say failures, but like guys who are, I mean, Syndergaard, I think this week will turn 31 and Norris just turned 30. Like they should be in the primes of their career with huge contracts and huge expectations. And they're both searching far and wide for, the 22 year old versions of themselves. Um, and, and Norris was, was DFA a couple weeks ago and wound up back at Columbus pitching in triple a in relief, just trying to figure out where his career might go next. And Syndergaard's DFA now. So it's, and Syndergaard's played for five teams in the last two years. It's just, it's an interesting tale. And then this is nothing. I'm not, by no means am I saying Bybee and Williams are going to be 30 years old looking for work, but, um, there was just some weird symmetry. And I do think there's value, like, uh, very different in terms of Syndergaard's demeanor where he just seemed like he's just so frustrated and disheartened by how his career's gotten to this point that he doesn't even know where to look anymore. And then Norris, who was like, kind of come around to this and, and said, you know what? I've stuck around for a decade and at least I can help young guys and I can, I can teach them, Hey, you're going to go through some adversity and it's, it's how you respond to it. You're going to get injured, things like that. Um, so I think there's some benefits too, to just having veterans around. This is, uh, this is not related to like what you're saying with Syndergaard. Like I wouldn't want Tanner Bybee to watch the Syndergaard press conferences and be like, yeah, act like that afterwards and, and be as sad as he is after you pitch. But it's just, it's very interesting. You see, how your career can flash before your eyes and and you blink and you're a 30 year old who's in Columbus pitching in relief. And five minutes ago, you know, with Daniel Norris, I mean, he was telling me is he had someone send him an article before the 2015 season that predicted he'd win AL rookie of the year. And he's looking at that and he's like, Holy shit. Like I I might be really good. And (laughs) you know, Things don't quite pan out the way you want, and not, not quite just, the Stephen just, Kwan reaction. <laughs> Who he don't know can, me. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting lesson, and I think it's just it was a it was a weird dynamic to see in the clubhouse for the what three weeks that it lasted. Yeah, it, it, it will truly be one you look back on and go, I can't, be- 
like you'll remember certain bits and pieces, but you probably won't remember a single moment that he was actually pitching on the hill other than it happened. And maybe what the trade opened up at shortstop and, and perhaps the fact that it allowed them to make a move elsewhere with the rotation and bridge the gap to a returning starter. In this case, it looks like it's going to be Cal Quantrill, who was fantastic in his final tune-up, for whatever that's worth. I mean, I think you want to see... I would like to see Quantrill come back. I'm sure he would like to see... The organization would definitely like to see him come back and just give us a little bit of what he was doing beforehand because we we all feel great about what this rotation can be in the, in the future ahead, but... Uh, there's no guarantee that they all stay healthy, that they're all just going to continue to be great, that they're not going to have hiccups. I like depth, and I like a guy like Cal Quantrill, who prior to this year, I mean, I was comfortable with him starting a playoff game last year, had no issue with that whatsoever, and he had proven to be a innings-eating league average starter, and there's a lot of value in that. And if he can just showcase that he's still capable of being that guy, then I'm, I, I'm just more relieved because I want more safe gale, safe fails within this rotation with youth. It's so unpredictable. It's unpredictable when you have veterans. I mean, you, you have Bieber <laughs> and you have Savali and you have Plesek and you I mean, just go through the whole list. And now look at what this rotation is. A lot of those guys were already proven commodities and they got hurt or they were ineffective. Things change. I like the depth and I would like to see Quantrill pitch well before the end of the year to feel like, okay, that's still a building block for this team. I'm not thinking about where I'm going to get another depth starter. We haven't played that game in a while. Who would start your playoff series? Have to be Bobby Williams-Allen, right? Well, it's not going to be Syndergaard anymore. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What is it about those Toronto Toronto extra inning games? They just end up killing a, a veteran's career, whether it was Jabba Chamberlain or, in this case, Noah Syndergaard. The, the move happens today because the bullpen's beat up, and they had to cover another couple of innings longer than probably they thought they were going to. I mean, they we haven't even mentioned the fact they won the series and they won the season series against a really good Toronto team. Now, the Twins messed it all up. Because I was real, not that I thought that this race was still going to happen or anything, but my goal, if you can give me one thing before the end of the year, I want twins, twins fans, twins media, I want them pooping their pants before the end of the year, thinking that, oh my God, this could still be up in the air. That's all I'm asking for. I don't even need the division anymore. I just want them to. Don't worry. Don't worry. They come to Cleveland next weekend so they can eat Cleveland press dining, and then I'll take care of that. (laughs) I'm so gonna shout be in out to for that. Um, anybody in the kitchen that listens to this show. Hi. Yeah, a six-game deficit, six games to play. I mean, Cleveland's got to win five of six, right? To have any shot. No, I think they probably got to sweep them. You think so? I'm... I mean, the schedules favor the Twins too. Much yes. easier schedule down the stretch. In a normal situation, I would say absolutely yes. The way that the Twins have just not wanted to seize it for any length of time, maybe not. But in a in a normal scenario, I would say for a legitimate shot, you almost got to win them all. All right. Well, I'd probably bet against that. Maybe. Yeah, I just... I, I, I mean, do you realistically 
even if they only dropped one of the remaining season series with the twins, think that they could force their way into that at all? Because I, I uh, no, probably not. I mean, I even if they sweep, I'm not saying that. Like they'd still be at a disadvantage just based on the schedules and the the talent. Like I. Look at the lineup every day, and I'm like, I, I, I can't figure out if this team is prioritizing development or prioritizing trying to win. Sometimes those things can go hand in hand, and sometimes they don't. I, and then I'm like, oh, why are why are these veterans playing every day, and then like they're getting three hits every day? So I, I, I don't know anymore. <laughs> right, I know right. nothing. Just, just play this thing out. Wake me up on October second. <laughs> Let me know if the manager retired. <laughs> And we'll go from there. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I got a month full of shows to fill. You're not going to abandon me like that. I am glad you brought that up because it is something that as this year has unfolded, we talked about a little bit with Cole Calhoun that I'm just not stressing over the daily lineup choices the way I was earlier in the year because I was so desperate to start to get an idea of what Arias is, what Freeman is, when Rokia got the chance, what he was. Part of this has changed because Rokio showcased he needed a bit of a break here. And I, we can have a problem with calling up a third catcher. I didn't have a problem, as we addressed on the Patreon show, with giving him a chance to go catch his breath in Columbus. I thought that was necessary for him. But the days of me being so wrapped up in the daily lineups, it's, it's over for me. I, I don't care about that. To me, I'm looking at that macro view. I'm thinking, is Arias playing most of the time? Is Freeman not sitting on the bench five days a week is Bo Naylor playing majority of the like even in this series he starts one game but he still makes it into the the next two so he's still active he's still a part of it I'm not freaking out about like oh my god Ha started this game and I obviously don't really love Gallagher getting any starts but I'm just I'm not fretting over that I'm, I'm just in the week did that guy play a lot are, are, are those guys staying in the mix because I, I do worry at this point in the year when you do have such a young lineup that you're going to hurt a, a kid's development by exposing him so much that he is playing in a real bad stretch and creating some real awful habits. I don't want that to get away from them. And I think that's what they're trying to do in, in this balance that you're talking about, playing the veterans alongside playing the kids. I mean, I think you're right. I, I'm with you. I'm not going to look at a lineup and see Gabriel Arias isn't in there for the first time all week and lose my mind. Um, you can't convince me there's any reason to start Cam Gallagher, though. Because even if even if the alternative is Eric Haas, I'd rather see him. I would want to know if he's going to be on the team next year. You know, you got to decide if he's worth R1. You got to decide if he's the good a good pairing with Bo Naylor next season. Now, when you think ahead on things and they faced lefties Saturday, Sunday, for some reason they just will not let Bo Naylor face a lefty. That's another thing, but they're saying, okay, well, if we don't want Bo Naylor to start Saturday or Sunday day game after a kind of day game, kind of mid later day game. Um, so they clearly didn't want the same person starting both of those. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I I guess I could understand the thinking, but I'm not going to agree with it. Um, I mean, I, I think you just need to get every growing pain out of this, out of the way this season that you can. Now, that's going to not allow you to win the division. I mean, it's it's going to hamper you. If 
but I don't think that's is, is that best case matter? scenario. I don't, I don't I don't know how you're winning this division anyway. So it shouldn't right. matter. Just get every growing pain out of the way, because I I think that this team plans to contend next season, and you can't be like babying Bo Naylor in 2024, and you can't sure. be it it can't be like you you can. It's okay if you aren't 100% certain that you have your shortstop of the next decade on opening day next year, but you better have confidence that at least one or two of those guys can play. And well, so think there's all- just things you have to answer over the next month. And, and I Absolutely. think just stay out of your own way, basically. Well, I think every player is in their own space in their development or timeline, too. Like, Arius today, our, our pal Jay brought it, I think it was our pal Jay in the Discord brought it up, but I completely agree with him. He, yeah, he in his final at-bat on Saturday, hit the, he's a ball screamer, could have made a case it's another base hit. I mean, he's had some excellent hard contact in the month of August, and the expected numbers are really good for him. He also struck out five times in those two games, and the one thing you don't want to let a guy, you know, a guy that's 23 years old, you don't want it to get away from him. You don't want it to snowball. You don't want him to start getting outside of himself because he is striking out. And so before that happens, being a little proactive and saying, Sunday, sit. We'll come back at it next week. You're back in the lineup. Like Everything's good, but don't let that snowball. I thought that was actually a, a wise decision to sit him, not let it get away from him. A guy like Oscar Gonzalez, I don't care. F and play that dude every single day. I don't care about his goods and bads and how he's feeling anymore because He's so far along in his development and where he needs to be and the decision you need, you need to make on him that I'm not babying him anymore. The kid gloves are off. Rokio is further down than, say, Arius is, and it's like, Arius, you're keeping him up in the major leagues. You're going to keep playing him, even if he has a bad stretch. Rokio, he, he looked like he needed that break, and so he's a little bit further beyond or further back from where Arius is, so you handle him differently. Wouldn't you say it's important to evaluate each and every single one of these these youngsters in a different way. Tyler Freeman, I look in a different way, maybe because of what I think the ceiling, the true ceiling is for, for what Freeman is compared to Arias. You know, I, I look at all of these kids in a, in a different way. And so therefore, my desires on how much they play and how they're handled, it, it, that's also different in the final month of the season. It's a lot to juggle, right? Everybody has different needs, different preferences, different, you know, you're, you're, when you're the manager, you're trying to put everybody in the best position to succeed, but those positions don't always align properly. Um, I think that's why sometimes there are some decisions that make us scratch our heads that like the manager, and I'm not even just talking about Tito in this case, I'm just saying managers in general will say like, you just have to trust me on this one. And that's not a Hugh Jackson, Cody Kessler thing either. That's, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes there are just circumstances or guys are more comfortable doing something or something like that beneath the surface that we wouldn't necessarily know about. Now, that's why we also need to ask to try to get clarity on this. And sometimes that proves unfruitful too. Um, but, well, sure, but then you can come back and say, well, you did say trust you on this, and you were wrong. So, like, you're on right. the record for it. It's why the questions get asked. But, yeah, I, I think I think every young player needs different things, and different approaches help them reach or figure things out that maybe they didn't even know they it was there to figure out. Um, 
I think that's what makes this, you know, it's, it's, it's what's so tricky about this. Like, usually you just, all right, we're going to stink this year. Here are 25 young kids and just let them play. We have 162 games. Go get as many reps as you can. Take your lumps and hopefully you'll be better off for it next season. But that's not what you're doing here. And it's not, certainly wasn't the plan at the start of the year either. So you're trying to mix in a little by little by little as the season's gone on. And then after the deadline, it's mostly fully in that realm. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's been a weird month. How is it not almost the end of September yet? That's what I was thinking about today is let's listen to the end of the game and the way I feel now is very reminiscent of how you feel in lost seasons, but it's it's like three weeks into September. The fact that there is still an entire month of September to go, it's it's kind of blowing my mind right now based on everything we've seen. And there's just so still so much in the air, and yet still so much that like even if Oscar Gonzalez were to have a good final sep- month of September, are you handing him right field? I mean, he he would have to have like a 1,300 OPS before mm-hmm. I would be like, damn, okay, sure. But if he's rocking a 770, cool, like that's that's fine. But I still don't see that position settled. And then meanwhile, that's what's got, so interesting. You got like veterans Cole Calhoun being like, hey, maybe I'm going to be 36 coming back here and playing. And then the organization, they're going to tell him no based on this. I, I don't know. I really don't. I think to piggyback off your previous point, though, it's like every player also has different things they can accomplish or they can prove in the remaining time, right? Like Ramon Laureano, and, and this kind of leads into what I'm the main topic of today's episode, which I'm sure we'll get to an hour in. But like Ramon Laureano can, I think, like secure a spot on next year's roster because he can prove that he is a good fit for a certain role, right? And he has a track record that helps. But you're right, Oscar Gonzalez could get scorching hot, and I still I don't know that I'm trusting that. Right? So it's 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 so fascinating because on one hand, I'm like I've been like grappling with should I write an article that's just like all the questions they need to answer before the end of the season? But then really it's like I, I think there are certain things you can answer and certain things you can't. Certain things make you maybe have a bit more confidence than you felt, but like a complete answer. Mm-hmm. Arius maybe could could do a lot in that making you feel comfortable handing him the shortstop out of the gate next year. Sure, but a right field that's still going to be unsettled no matter what happens in the fun. Like Brennan Gonzalez, don't feel great about either one of those things right now. We saw Brennan go on a nice stretch earlier in the season, but that's. His numbers are all propped up by that stretch, essentially, and I've been so disappointed, not just in the outcomes, but just in some of the the process stuff at the plate and in this discipline level. And then the guys that you want to feel great about, Andre Jimenez still, if, if we, we, we said it all year last year. I think you trumpeted it all the time. The guy never got cold at any stretch. Never. Jimenez, has he gotten hot once this year? He's never. always been just good enough to keep the numbers playable. Not completely awful. Not bench this kid right now. But he's never had a stretch where he looks fantastic. And even some of the swing choices that he makes are just so perplexing. And the, the, the timing of the swings that he makes so perplexing. So, yeah, I don't know that you're going to answer much in the final month. 
but you certainly could make me feel a little bit better about a guy's, at least his roster spot, a need to protect someone when I'm looking at, uh, you know, minor league system that I'm also thinking about who's Rule 5 eligible, who do I not need to protect, and I can wait a little bit, <coughs> Mazzardo. You know, things like that. Well, along those lines, then, let's play a game. Because I have a list of 10 players on the active roster, and I need you, I should rephrase that, just on the roster. Not all 10 are active. I need you to tell me. I need you to peer into your crystal ball and tell me whether each of these 10 will be on the roster next season. And just to make it a little more spicy. 10? 10. Regardless of your answer, regardless of your answer, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to argue against you. You're going to tell me why it depends. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I'm glad that you're not bombarding me with like new card game rules. Like that's too much for me. I can't handle all of that. I get so frustrated. A new card game or a new game of any kind, and I'm just like, what? Talk to me like I refuse I to listen to the person explaining I the directions. Three. <laughs> Can we just play a practice round? But given the ages that we are, you and I both, sick day from school. What were we home doing at eleven o'clock? I think it was 11, right? Price is right. Bob Barker passed away at the age of 99. Wouldn't it be a perfect time to incorporate some of that? And so I think what I'm going to tell you is whether the price is right or wrong on that player. When we were kids and we were homesick from school, how about like up until a couple years ago? I think when the pandemic happened and I stopped going to the to the gym and I got a Peloton and <laughs> yeah. just worked out at yeah. home. Up yeah, until 2020, pandemic. I was watching Price is Right every single day. Keeping I went away from to the gym. the gym every day, had to have Price is Right on while running on the treadmill, just me and all my 87-year-old friends at the rec center. Uh, yeah, I, it's not the same with Drew Carey, who we met and we learned kind of nod, dude. <laughs> so what you see on TV is what you get. And Aren't we all? Yeah, I mean, I I could tell you every game they play, best strategies. I mean, that's that's my show, man. That hurt, and all uh, the jokes about, well, he got as close as he could to a hundred without going over. Stop, and... stop. Funny the first time. I'm on now. <laughs> joke, one hundred forty-five of that. We no, no more. I trust me. I googled top prices right games because I was trying to think how can we incorporate one of those games like the. The cliff with the the yodeling guy. Cliffhangers, yeah. Cliffhangers, yeah. That game is the easiest one to win, by the way, because there's the three prizes. The first one is always twenty to twenty-five dollars, usually closer to twenty. The second one's always twenty-five to thirty, and the third one's always around forty bucks. So, I no this, reason this... not to have guesses in that range and win easy. This the supermarket game is always featuring someone who's never been to a supermarket in their entire life. That's always a classic. <laughs> I, I like the the one clip that got. Someone posted it on Twitter of the young lady. She's trying to win the car, and she keeps using the one. Joy. There's, yeah. There's five numbers that joy. she can use to rearrange 
the number to, to win the car, and there's only one one among those numbers. She keeps trying over and over. By the end, Bob is so fed up. He can't handle it anymore. <laughs> and she wins the car, and Bob just sits down because he's got, no, he's got no, nothing left, which is maybe where I will be at the end of this. So let's let's rock through this. Did you have Ten a favorite, did you have a favorite prepared. game, though? Uh, I mean, nothing beats the the amount of adrenaline that fills your 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 entire body every time you do anything that's related to Plinko. Mm-hmm. So I think Plinko, yeah. I was liked hole-in-one or two because the person never made the putt on the first try. <laughs> first of all, I always liked that the host, whether it was Bob Barker or Drew Carey, they always take a practice putt for some reason. Um, adds nothing, but just always do it. And then the person never makes the putt on the first try and then the host will go and hit the little button yeah. that changes hole in one to or two. And even as a kid, like I knew that was coming, but it was always so <laughs> surprising and exciting when they got a second chance. Yeah, they added that like in the like little old 87, lady. according to my research. I don't know, 1987, I think it was. You'd, you'd <laughs> I get looked the this old crap lady, up. The little old lady who would have like the first putt would go two feet and then she would sink it the second time and win a Volkswagen. So, nice and easy. Nice and easy on these next 10. All right. We'll start with center fielder Miles Straw. Will he be on the roster in 2024? <laughs> yeah, Price is, is right, unfortunately. Because where else is he going to go? Who else is taking on the contract? It's it's not happening. Yes, he's still going to be here. I mean, they found someone to take Josh Bell. But we covered this. Bell, you looked at the numbers. He still was largely the same hitter underneath the hood compared to, like, Bell you you could bring in, and, yeah, you're going to have to live with that contract next year, but he goes on a tear like he did when he joined Miami, then he carries your offense for two weeks. Uh, okay, Miles Strahl is, is not doing that. <laughs> so he's taking that. Don't you think there are some teams that have good outfields that could use straw and use him properly as your defensive specialist, start a couple times a week, pinch runner? Oh, my God, dude. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say the exact same damn thing we said about Rosario. Why can't that freaking be Cleveland? Because they don't have capable starting outfielders. But that's not the point. That The point is go get a center fielder. Sure, but that's not what the question is here. My, you said Straw's untradeable, and I'm saying, isn't there a team out there with a really good outfield that wouldn't mind paying Straw $4.9 million next year, $6.4 million the year after, I would... and $7.4 million in 2026 when he's 31? I would say yes, because you know, Michael A. Taylor could find a job. Didn't Isn't he like nearing 20 home runs this year? Mm-hmm. He somehow has dipped into power. Straw is not doing that. He's not getting any faster. His range is not improving. The numbers would suggest that he's not as good of a defender this year. Is he completely untradeable? No. Is it going to happen also? No. not. It's not going to happen. So he's still going to be here. Yeah, I tried to play devil's advocate, but I don't really buy what I'm selling. Um, okay, you say Mel Straw's stuck here. That's a bad contract. What were they doing? And no one noticed because it was happening at the same time as Jose Ramirez. 
when he got his deal. All right, number two. Well, I mean, if he was the player Shane that they Bieber. thought they were getting, hold on. If he was the player they thought they oh. were getting, then that contract's not so bad. The problem is he's been absolutely awful, way worse than I even would have anticipated he ever would have been. So that's your answer. Shane Bieber? Uh, yeah, I'm team he's still going to be here. Hmm. Yeah. And so I got to play devil's advocate. Um, I don't know. They don't, they don't usually let guys walk. They didn't let Kluber walk. They traded Kluber after he missed most of a season and before he missed almost all of another one. They never let these guys walk, especially pitchers. Bieber will come back. He'll do what he did in 2021. He'll make a couple of three inning starts in late September and prove he's healthy. And then you ship him off and go get another hitter. Right. Oh yeah. That sounds great. Now pay me the scenario where it's all, it's all unicorns and rainbows. I don't think that land exists. The problem, I mean, there's a difference between Kluber and, and, and Bieber because the decline in production had happened over multiple years for Bieber, whereas Kluber, you could stay, you could at, at that point have said, yeah, he didn't pitch well, but he wasn't healthy right there. And that was that was real quick that season. With Bieber, we've seen this since his peak at winning the Cy Young. He's not been the same pitcher. So I don't, I don't know that you're turning Bieber into another top three reliever in baseball again. I just. So do I think a team's going to take him? Yeah, I think a team would take him. I To me, I, I'm thinking, is that going to be worth it for a team that does feel like they have a chance to go win the division next year? I feel like just having Bieber and then giving him the qualifying offer, him walking away, then you still getting some compensation at the back end of that is worth more. Keeping him, having him in the rotation, that's worth more than the hypothetical trade that I don't know what that is yet. Four things. One, Bieber, Bybee, McKenzie, Williams, Allen. Sounds like a lot of fun. Number two, if things go awry, you could deal him midseason. You're not going to get a ton for him, but maybe he helps build his value too. Three, what was four? I don't know. But, you know, do you want to pay him $13 million? And his last year of arbitration? That's stupid that you even have to ask that. Not stupid on your part, stupid from the standpoint of a team legitimately having to ask whether paying a guy that's been a top-of-the-rotation pitcher for you for multiple years is worth that money. That's absolutely silly. What if you could package him and Straw together? How is that making it any better for the team? I don't know. You're getting less back for Bieber because you're packaging with with straw. Now I feel even worse about it. Oh, for more cost savings that mm-hmm. I'm 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 sure are guaranteed to be turned right back around and put right back into the roster, along with Josh Bell's savings too, right? It's unfortunately attendance is only up forty percent, not eighty. So, gotta cut that payroll down to record lows. No, uh, number three. Well, hold on. You're playing devil's advocate. Do you legitimately believe that they will? I legitimately believe they'll do what they always do. 
which is put feelers out, hope that someone will give them a young outfielder or something, and they probably won't like what they find. And I could see them holding on to him. I mean, they're... It depends how they want to attack filling out this lineup, right? You excited because I said it depends? Okay, here's another scenario. We're all envisioning trading Bieber for a 23-year-old outfielder that you're going to control for seven seasons. That's the, the dream. Not happening. No. What about a scenario where a team has an outfielder with a year, maybe two of control? Bieber for Pete Alonso. I've done Beaver no mental straw research on for that. Pete Alonso and <laughs> Carlos Carrasco, who signs a one-year deal, and but you get what I'm what I'm what I'm yeah. saying here. T- take the the similar timeline, but apply the pitcher and Bieber to the offense that you need, and and stop thinking in terms of long-term help. Allocate part of the roster to a different part of the roster. Could that make sense? I guess that could make sure. sense. I don't I don't know. You know, what's that scenario? But that is one where I could see them saying, we don't make anything up in, in terms of surplus value in future years, but we really need that right fielder. And even though we only control this guy for one year, that's one year of really good right field that we like. I don't know. Doesn't really fit the mold of what they do, but it is another option you could consider with him. Instead of thinking only young guys, only multiple years of control, I don't know. I don't. I just don't know that those years are... Or that scenario is going to exist for Beaver. That's going to be a fun topic this winter. All right, number sure? three. Sure no, about I'm that. Not... Will Brennan. I mean, yeah, I think he's still going to be here. Am I excited about it? I'll say yes. I'll say he will still be here. But I even like the the idea of platooning him with a with a better right-handed stick. I mean, in theory that works, but is Brennan doing anything that really demonstrates you need to hold a starting spot for him even as just your platoon outfielder? Maybe the best no. role for him is just thinking about him as the fourth outfielder or the fifth outfielder. Cuz he, you know, he holds his own defensively in a couple of spots and like, I'm not saying he's complete zero, but I, I'm not holding anything close to a starting spot for him, even in a platoon fashion for next year. If it's up to me. What's kind of amazing. I don't even have a devil's advocate on this one, but what's amazing is that Miles Straw has played as much as he has. And a big reason why is because nobody else has threatened the playing time. I mean, I think the two most disappointing developments here, two of the, because I don't, I'm probably forgetting someone, but are the two right field. I mean, Brennan and Gonzalez. Just the fact that neither has shown signs that you, that's something you want to cling on to. Like, I, I don't even, like, what you said it, you're like fourth off it or like fifth off it. Like, what is the role you envision for this guy? I don't even know now. There's not like, like at least with straw, I can be like, oh, defensive specialist. Or with Loriano, I can say, well, he's proven good against lefties and I like his defense in the corners. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't know if, even good where enough that leaves. he could he could play some starting right field for you. Probably not ideally, but if he played some against righties, it, it probably wouldn't kill you. I mean, you're the one that's looking at his projections and dreaming about what they indicate they could be based on what he used to be in the past. Maybe not clear indication of what actually Laureano is. What? Oh, don't pretend you didn't text me. What was it? A couple weeks ago, dreaming on Laureano's projections. Yeah, I'll just flush it. But I can't even, you know, I I think a lot of people were saying, well, just put Brennan in center and Quan in left and go get a stud right fielder. But you can't even say the Brennan in center field part anymore. Like, I just have seen so little encouragement this season um, that I, it's weird. We're saying yes to the, to the question because like you don't want to just cut ties with every outfielder who seems like they don't initially fit because that's part of why Nolan Jones and Will Benson aren't here anymore. But seemed really familiar <laughs> but i i don't know I, I mean he could be in columbus next season at this time who knows yeah i mean i'm not saying you have to determine what he is forever but mm-hmm. i'm not holding a, i'm not holding a spot the way i would term it is yeah you're holding on to him but if something opens up where it's taking the spot away from him or you need the actual roster spot for something that's much more proven I'm not he's not standing in the way of of me doing something. That's that is definitely not the case with him. Yeah, I mean I think ideally he's fighting in spring training for a backup spot. And then like the regular season happens and Quan pulls a hammy and you call up Brennan to play against righties in left field for those 4 weeks and he hits so well that you keep him up and you give him occasional playing time and it happens organically like that. Yeah. So on the topic, then let's go Oscar Gonzalez. This feels very similar. I mean, a lot of what we just said applies with Gonzalez difference here is a slight difference. Maybe is I don't want to just because we didn't totally believe in what he did in 22, I don't want to pretend it never happened. Like, he was good. Regardless of how he got there, he was good. So sometimes I I do feel like maybe we're a little bit unfair to him. We just talk about him in the same way we talk about all these other youngsters not proving anything. He had a hell of, a couple of awesome playoff moments. Had a good stretch with his team. So is, did he just fake his way to all of that? But at the same time, it's the same conversation. I'm not holding a spot for him. He's not guaranteed anything. He ha- he does bring a, a few things like that are different than than Brennan. Obviously, power in the the most pleasant of outcomes. He he has more of that than Brennan does. But I don't I don't I don't know. I mean, yes, I I think he's probably still here. But I don't I don't feel. I don't feel great about saying that definitely. I mean, my devil's advocate would just be they go out and they acquire an outfielder or two. And Gonzalez, they feel more comfortable cutting ties with him than Brennan or whomever else. 
You know, I don't think they're going to cut ties with Valera. I don't know where Jonathan Rodriguez fits into all this. Yeah. God, I've been one to ask you more about him because that profile just continues to. I mean, we talked about that with Gonzalez. I am completely confounded by a guy. What is what is his strikeout rate right now at AAA? Eighty percent? Not quite, but I mean, it's high. And then he's still crushing bombs and kind of along the lines of Arias. All these guys got flaws. I'm at least a little bit interested in the guys that do it a little bit differently than all the other guys that are slap hitting singles hitters. That's the thing is like, I don't know what to make of him. I don't know what to make of any of these outfielders. You know, like what I've learned is not positive. And so what I haven't learned yet, I'm almost like spooked. I don't, I don't know. Especially when you see the profile, it's like, okay, this is a more extreme Oscar Gonzalez. What? That exists. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But isn't it kind of similar in that you're again talking about someone that bucks the trends of things that you would be warned, like warning yourself about. It was the same but thing also, with Gonzalez. But but you can fall in love with traits that are just, or you can fall in love with results that are like these players have such wide fluctuations and what's possible. And especially, I mean, if you called up Jonathan Rodriguez for the final month and he went nuts, is he your starting right fielder next year? And then is he going to, I mean, it could be, it could follow the same exact path. Like I, I don't. <laughs> yes. We're doing it all oh, over no. again. <laughs> haven't learned a friggin' thing. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is, you know, how many, how many outfielders who you're not sold on, are you going to keep on your 40 man roster? Like you it's, there's a very finite limit here. And Assuming you're that's your main target this offseason, you've gonna have to cut ties with some of these people. Are they gonna be spooked by what they the choices they made? They just did that. And the two guys that they sent elsewhere have had some great moments. So they're gonna be shying away from wanting to give up on one of these outfitters because they don't want to be doing this all over again. <laughs> that's, that's, Will Benson that, seems really good yeah and he's one like I was saying with Arias the thing that was so intriguing about Benson who else did they have in the system that was like him that was having success that had the traits that he had yeah and he was raw and warning signs that are still there like it's not that he's a completely escaped all the, the potential criticisms that he could have He's been played magnificently with with the Reds and how they've utilized him. But he was different. He he provided something different. Arias provides something different than Freeman and Rocchio to this point. They're all flawed, Zach. They're all flawed. Every single one of these these kids are flawed. It's just that maybe I'm more interested right now in the guys that are flawed in ways that are different than 70% of the other prospects, if that makes any sense. All right. Number five. Cal Quantrill. Number five. Uh, God, I feel like I'm just going to say yes to everybody. Hmm. Could a good September out of him make him a trade candidate for somebody? Back-end starter for somebody? Is that a guy that comes to spring training, though, and then like that happens in spring training? Like, once you feel better about 
the crew you brought to to camp. <sighs> isn't isn't this also tied to Bieber a little bit too? If they trade Bieber, do they want to also get rid of Quantrill, who again before this year was a pretty darn good league average starter, if not better at times? Oh God. Are you gonna hold me to all my answers? Are we just gonna like beat me up if I get these wrong? You're taking longer than Joy did on the Price is Right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put a one right here. I'll say no Cal Quantrill. I'll say somehow he gets tr turned into something else. They tr because in this scenario, I'm, I'm envisioning them keeping Bieber, so they trade Quantrill. Okay. I would have also said no to Quantrill, but I will play devil's advocate and say, yeah, he'll be here because they'll trade Bieber. Because Quantrill will only be making about five and a half, six million and won't have the trade value. And if you want to address that outfield or the bullpen or something, you, if you want to get something useful, it's Bieber who you have to move. So you keep Quantrill, who had been so reliable at eating up innings before this season that you, you trust he's going to give you another 180 next year and help those young kids take the next step. But you're probably right. Probably one or the other. Mm. Number six. Cole Calhoun. Well, before today, I would have said no, but now he's just won you another game. I could totally see the scenario where he says he wants to come back and play and he's not taking anything more than just some minor league contract to come to camp. I still think at the end of the day, that's a no. I don't think he's occupying a 40-man spot with all the other stuff that's up in the air. Does it... Wait, what? I, I should have asked. What is this... When you say they're on the team, like in what in what fashion? Could I see... Calhoun in camp again next year? Yeah, I could. Does that mean he makes the team? Does that mean he's still here? I guess in the org. Because like some like Brennan and Gonzalez aren't going to be on the major league roster, and Straw, or else nobody's going to be listening to this podcast. Just my mom. Uh, and my wife. She's become a and religious listener. She wants to know what the hell you're doing all day. That's the <laughs> that's the reality there. And you make your son listen because he wants to feel like he actually knows his, his dad. Uh yeah, I, I, I can't talk myself into how he is on the team. <laughs> but but he he is like making it not that I am coveting it, but it does make me think that the team might potentially think about it a little bit. I mean, if they so, could bring back Giambi in 2014. They did. People forget about that. That's like the one example of that, though. Like, they didn't bring back Jerry Sands. <laughs> or, I don't know. And they you might have a different Scott manager Atchison. who's not in love with Calhoun the way that I think Tito is. True. 
But you're right. I think part of this is like I don't think he's getting a big league job anywhere. I don't think. So if it's a minor league deal, yeah, Cleveland could come in there early with an offer. They they love what he's brought, and it's not just Tito. I mean they they kept a list of veteran types who are at AAA for other organizations, and they checked in on him. They got input from people in other front offices who they knew wouldn't be going after him. And everyone had rave reviews. Said he's great in the clubhouse. Um, and, I mean, he's been good. It, it's crazy. I, I keep looking at his numbers, and I, it just feels to me like he has two or three hits every single game. And, like, his numbers are good, 124 WRC+. plus. But yeah, for some reason, it just feels like he's always in the middle of everything. If they, any of the if they picked up a 124 WRC plus, I'll keep saying it. At the trade deadline, if you trade for that guy, you'd say that's a damn good trade. That's mm-hmm. exactly what you needed. And here we're like, why do they keep playing this guy? <laughs> right. Yeah, no. All right. Number seven. Brought to you by SeatGeek. Use code SELBY. Get $20 off your first ticket purchase. They asked to sponsor number seven? Number seven in particular. They asked for it, yes. Hmm. Tyler Freeman. Whoo, God. Not that I want to be giving up on Freeman, because I I could easily see him following the track record of everybody that goes to Tampa Bay and just goes off. But I have the... The way that they have reacted to him and when, how often he's played, it leads me to wonder how much does the organization like him? Not that they hate him, but do they do they like him more than Arias? Do they like him more than Rokio? I don't think so. Am I reading that wrong? Am I, am I wrong to read the body language here of how they've acted toward him to to lead me to my... My questioning of his spot on this team doesn't matter what they say. Just look at playing time. So you're going to say no? I'm going to say no. I say no, Tyler Freeman. Also, devil's advocate, Chris Antonetti is on record multiple times in recent weeks saying that. Arias, Rocchio, and Freeman will all be in the organization all winter and going into spring, which usually means someone's getting traded. <laughs> Didn't they announce the Browns' backup quarterback and trade him five seconds later? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I would say anything. yes just because I think they already know that Freeman can be the utility guy. And I think I think it's Arias versus Rocchio – well, I'm not saying it should be, but I feel like those are the two guys you're looking at primarily as the everyday guy, and the loser would just go to AAA. I don't think the loser could be Arius in that situation, though, because he has nothing left to prove there. But I guess I just, until I see something else, I just assume that this is going to be the setup on opening day. Arius at shortstop, Freeman the utility dude, Rokio at AAA. I would agree with you, but like, doesn't there... There have to be some changes to the roster. Things you can't just come back with the exact same group and hope 
eh, they're all going to take their next step forward. No, someone's going to jump forward. Someone's new right fielder, new DH, new. Oh, oh. Mm. Okay. I just, I can't. The safe bet is, yeah, they're all still here. Well, you're the one who said yes to pretty much every person so far. Exactly why I'm saying no to Freeman. I'm saying no to Freeman. But what are you going to trade him for? Uh, I'm gonna give Another him the shortstop. A Will Benson treatment. Mm. Okay, number eight, James Karinchek. Oh, that's a no. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna stop you right there. Non-tender. I. Uh, this is another thing where, you know, initially. When they sent him down, it felt like maybe it was some roster mumbo-jumbo that they felt like they needed to do to get fresh bodies in here. And then there were chance after chance after chance for them to call him back up, and they didn't. And it's not like he made some, like some light bulb went off at AAA, and now, whoo, he's the same old Karen check that he used to be. Uh, I could definitely see him being a... A candidate to be cut. Yeah, I mean, he's only going to be in line to make like $2 million. And if you just looked at his numbers, the surface level numbers, uh, which you shouldn't do, but like they look fine. The walks are a little high. The home runs are ridiculous. And a lot of that was obviously early in the season. I, I don't... I don't have a strong feeling on this. I mean, like, you could non-tender him, but also are you going to... You, it's not like you're going to pay for a reliever and you just... You better unearth another couple guys, right? Like, I don't know if they have anyone in the system who's, like, a safe bet. They have a couple interesting guys who maybe could join, like, mid-season next year. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't... That one's a weird one to me. What's what really has hurt this year is Hench's obviously being hurt at the outset and then coming back and just never being as lethal as he was last year. And it'll lead you to question whether or not that was reality. Is he just is this just a year where I mean you, you see it, guys they stumble out of the gate because of injury or the behind the eight ball, and then they just they never get it back that entire year, and it's going to take them going back through the spring training and then the full reset, and then he's back to being quite good. I mean, you see signs. Today, you saw signs. I guess just, like, if Karinczak makes, like, $1.82 million in ARB, is that really not worth the risk? Oh, no, no, no. See, I, I'm not saying it has anything to do with cost. I think it might be just a roster hmm. crunch situation. Got to make room for somebody, so it's going to be Karinczak. Okay. Like if if Number you're asking nine. me would I pay would I pay the whatever that's going to cost for that lottery ticket? Sure, but it, to me it's more about that roster spot. Are they going to covet that more? So they're going to like somebody more that they can't risk not protecting. I could see that scenario. Number 9, Ramon Laureano. I think that's going to be a yes. For at least one more year, I think so. Because Probably he... going to run you about 
four, four and a half million. If he can settle into that, it's not really a fourth outfield spot. It, it's a pseudo starter. Is he the Ryan Rayburn, Brandon Geyer type? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could be. With better D? He could. And I I don't know how much you're still chasing ceiling at, at his age, but you could make a case that there was a time where he was a really good player. Really good. There's always a chance that he just runs into that one year where he gets that back. Not that that's a long-term thing, but just it all comes together for him to have the one great year once again. And he just plays himself into more playing time. I, I would, I would, I'd take that gamble. I think he, he feels like really good depth of some kind. Yeah, I just, if you want me to take you seriously... I think he needs to be your fourth best outfielder. I kind of, I mean, from an offensive standpoint, I kind of think Quan needs to be your third best. I don't know. Maybe I had too high of expectations. I just, I don't know how they're going to fix that. But I'm with you. If Loriano can even be part of the solution, then you keep him around. Even if you think four and a half, five million is uncomfortable, you're not paying anybody anything. Your starting rotation next year is going to make seven figures combined. So, and your three rookies are going to make nothing. So you can afford to maybe take more financial risk elsewhere. I also look at it as even if you make a trade to go get a right fielder, I feel really good about Loriano being your insurance policy on three potential spots. Not that I want him playing at any more center field, really, but he provides you insur- really good insurance. Not that he's your anybody's pen and in and sharpie starter, but he's like that fourth guy that, like what you're thinking of with Will Brennan, I feel more comfortable with Loriano being a guy that could occupy 350, 400 plate appearances if you need to. Not that I'm drawing it up that way, but if it fell into that category because somebody's hurt or whatever, I don't think that's a bad place to be. That's that's a decent guy to be having that role filled by. All right, number 10. I, you know, I was going to go a couple ways. First, I wrote down Eric Haas, and then I thought, eh, who knows? Backup catcher, anything can happen there. Then I thought David Fry, but I thought, like, he'll be in the organization, but who knows where he fits. Then I wrote down Brian Rocchio, but we already talked about him and – you know, he's so young. Unless some other team thinks the world of him, like, and you trade him for something useful, he's here. So I'm going to change directions. And then I was going to go with the manager. But I thought no one should have any reason to believe he's still going to be here because he's talked as if he's made up his mind. So I'm going to go Carl Willis. Ooh. The pitching coach. He's 61, 62 years old. The man yeah, so who I was... has overseen so many Cy Young winners. He's 62. So I was thinking about this the other day when we were actually talking about Tito, and we didn't bring it up on the show, but it came to my mind when I was thinking about Sandy and the role that he plays. And we just think about 
everything kind of remaining in place and you're changing the manager. Well, maybe that works if it's Sarbi. Maybe that works if it's DeMarlo. Isn't somebody that comes in from outside the organization going to want to bring in their own people? I mean, they might listen to, to the Guardians and say, hey, sit, like, where are you going to get a better first base catching game, running game guru? Where are you going to get that better than that with a guy that actually likes that role and doesn't have any aspirations in this scenario of like trying to take your job or do anything like that? Or you don't worry about him going elsewhere at any point in his career at this point. So Sandy sticks around. Okay, sure. I mean, Sandy has survived regime changes before. Stayed on with, T- with, with Tito on his staff, even though his role adjusted. But like everybody else, like, who, who are we to say that they're, that new person that they bring in isn't going to want to bring in their own hitting guru? Is it going to want to bring in their own pitching guy? Is it going to want to bring in their... What, you want your own bench coach for sure. That's the, you have the buddy system there. It's your most trusted guy on the bench right next to you. So, I don't know that that's a guarantee. Like, I, I would be absolutely in love with Carl sticking around, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I think he's really good at his job. I mean, the, the resume speaks for itself there, and, and the fact that he's able to just like the young pitchers too. Give the pitchers a lot of credit, but I think we also have to, obviously the organization deserves credit, but like we don't, no one talks about Carl Willis or Joe Torres, the assistant pitching coach. Um, those guys deserve a ton of credit too. The job they've done with, with all the rookies this year is fantastic. I, I'm with you though. I mean, I, I, if you bring in a new manager, someone from outside the organization, someone younger, someone who maybe doesn't have all the intricate ties that everybody on this staff has. You think Carl Willis at this point in his career wants to stick around? I think DeMarlo Hale at this point in his career wants to stick around. I don't know. I haven't asked them those questions, but I, I just, I do think you're going to see more. I think you're right. Like this isn't just you remove the figurehead and put someone else in that spot. This is, you are building a, a new staff and there might be some holdovers and, other guys, they yeah. might have to replace. Well, it depends on who that guy is, but I think that person would be very smart to want to keep in place the thing that this organization does extremely well. And if Carl mm-hmm. still is wanting to stick around, kind of what I said about Sandy, this is someone who, at this point, Carl Willis isn't going somewhere else. Unless the only way he's going somewhere else is because you didn't want him as your pitching coach, and now he's somebody else's pitching coach. He, he's sticking here. He's not chasing some managerial job. That's a rock on your staff for probably as long as you want it, at least for the next several years. So, yeah, I, do I wonder... think you'd be smart to, to just think about keeping certain things in place if that is still a possibility. I do wonder if that I've, there's, I have no insight behind this. I wonder if like, they could get Brian Sweeney from KC to be their pitching coach. I mean, maybe their manager. I don't to know. be their manager? Oh. To be their pitcher, just he's someone, maybe it would be a better fit for him. You know, an organization that already knows what it's doing on the pitching side and isn't trying to build something from scratch. I know he lives in upstate New York. He'd be closer to to New York and his wife and kids. Um, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, Ruben Niebel was – a little different. He got a promotion to go to San Diego, but his family's in San Diego. So that made tons of sense. 
and that was the only team he was going to go to. But I would imagine, as you're talking about, if you're a pitching coach somewhere, if you're an aspiring pitching coach somewhere, Cleveland's probably a pretty attractive place to work. So that will be interesting. That's that's it's gonna be. A, there's a lot to sort through this off season, and uh, you just sorted through ten people who you think most will return. <laughs> yeah, I think they're all back. Just uh, Sweet. do it all over again. Run it back. Run it back. Bring back. All of the old favorites from this show, Bradley Zimmer. Let's talk about him some more. And uh, we'll wake up Zach when September ends. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you later this week over at Patreon. Patreon.com slash SelbiusGuideCast, where you get the $1 episode per week, additional to the free one we do here. And, of course, you get access to the Discord, which is a hell of a lot of fun. For Zach, I'm TJ. We're out of here. See ya.